up on today's show, the silence from Russian hockey players regarding the situation in Ukraine. Is it right? Is it wrong? What should we be asking? Melanie Jolie, the foreign affairs minister, ruffling some feathers by saying, hey, Canada is not a military power. We're good at convening. We're good at diplomacy. And the James Webb telescope has sent back its first images. Pretty spirited debate going on on the text line as to what we need to do about Russian well, let's call them celebrities because it's not just hockey players, but we're going to focus on hockey players for the purpose of this discussion. And when we do, we talk about Alex Ovechkin. And, of course, he's the poster child for all of this, and for good reason. Um, he's vocally supportive of Vladimir Putin. He had a website called Team Putin. Um, his Instagram profile picture is still him and Vladimir Putin. Um, and uh, he's sort of the the face of Russian hockey as well, especially this week, as he cemented his place as uh, one of the greatest goal scorers in the history of our game. Um, and, you know, he's been in the headlines, he's been in the spotlight all week long, not just because of his ties to Putin, but because of the fact that he's breaking records and becoming the third highest scorer in the history of hockey. So uh, a lot going on around Alex Ovechkin. But does that spill down to everybody else? We're going to chat now with Scott Stinson, who is a national sports columnist with Post Media News and wrote an article about this yesterday, as a matter of fact. Scott, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Che. Yeah, it's an interesting discussion here, and I guess, well, first of all, we do have to clarify that Ovechkin is different, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, there's 40, I think 41 NHLers who are Russian-born. I, I think of them... You, you put Ovechkin in a totally different category because he has been a vocal supporter of Vladimir Putin. He he is, you know, I, I guess it's hard to know when people say they're friends, what that really means in terms of, uh, you know, regular humans. Do they have, do, does he text him? Do they chat on the phone? Right. But, but they do seem friendly in the way of, uh, which is unusual between the head of state and an athlete. I mean, Putin sent them a wedding present and sent a video message that was played at their wedding. And and as you mentioned, uh, Ovechkin a few years ago set up something called Putin Team, which he um, kind of said was a social movement, although it never really seemed to do anything after the original announcement. But, you know, he's been a a vocal supporter in a way that none of the other Russian NHLers have really done particularly overtly. So I think it's fair to say he's in a different category. Yeah, no doubt. There's a lot of speculation around him too, as in terms of, you know, he's, he's put out some fairly tepid responses saying no war, please. I don't want war, uh, but he hasn't actually yeah. condemned what's going on. And there's a lot of people saying, well, he can't, he's got family in Russia still and they'd face consequences. Does anybody really know that the reality around that? No, I don't think we do. And, and I'm, I'm, obviously sympathetic to that as a as an argument to say whether it's him or other people they're in a difficult spot because they have families back home who might be under threat uh, it's easy it, it, you know it's easy for me to say well he should say something anyway i'm not in that position but but it's not like every single russian has avoided saying everything about it and yeah. and a couple people pointed out to me after i wrote the piece that there are various russian celebrities of of different degrees um chess grandmasters for example and and people here might sort of roll their eyes but chess people are a much bigger deal in russia than they are in say canada and there's been a number of them who are celebrities in their own right who have have penned letters and issued open letters and made calls on social media saying this is you know this war is bad and and we need to stop it 
And the fact that the NHLers have kind of avoided not even just, you know, outwardly condemning it, but even saying, I think we should not bomb hospitals is, you know, uh, I think interesting that they haven't been willing to even go that far as to kind of acknowledge that some of what we've seen in the past few weeks seems to really be out of line with, with even if you were neutral at the start of the thing or trying to stay neutral, that you would be able to maintain that neutrality as the story has continued to unfold. And I guess that's what we're trying to decide. I mean, we don't know Nikita Kucherov or, you know, uh, Ovi's teammate, Evgeny Kuznetsov. We, we, we don't know where they stand politically on this. And then there's the, there is the question about what happens if they do speak out publicly? Will they face repercussions to their family or whatever the case may be? Um, do they owe us that, though? Do they have an obligation in your mind to take a side? I think that it is, this is, and this is a point I was trying to get to in the piece I wrote, which is that I think in the start, you could sort of see that the attempt for everybody to be relatively neutral and say, look, I'm just a hockey player. I don't really like that's above my pay grade. Even, even for a guy like Ovechkin, who is a, a friend slash supporter of Putin, he, it's not like he's particularly political in his everyday life and doesn't seem yeah. to have any, you know, really talked about that stuff. But as the story has gone on and as we've seen the way this war has unfolded, I just think it gets harder and harder to maintain that idea of, well, that's got nothing to do with me. Like, you know, I don't think it's particularly political to say, I don't think that, maternity hospitals should be targeted by bombs and artillery. Like that to me doesn't seem like you're taking a quote unquote political stance. You're just saying, I don't think war crime should happen. And, and I think as, as this NHL season goes on and we get into the playoffs and you have guys like Ovechkin and Kucherov and Vasilevsky and, and Bobrovsky and whoever else, uh, I just think it gets, it's going to get harder and harder to kind of maintain this idea of, well, that thing's happening over there and this other thing is just hockey and we're not even going to talk about that. And I do wonder if we're going to get to a point where some of these players or the teams or the league or somebody needs to kind of acknowledge it in a way that they didn't, you know, haven't really done since the initial anodyne statements of we are against war right. and, you know, we're pro-peace. Um, and I think there's another difference to make. Do, do we have to consider the fact that they're not competing on behalf of Russia. I think that's a, d- a dividing line, right? If you're if you're there on yeah. behalf of Russia, representing Russia, that's a different category altogether. That does seem to be the way I would say sports in general have kind of officiated it, is that if you're a Russian team representing the country, yeah. wearing the flag, playing the anthem, then they're just going to say, all right, you're out. We're not, you know, whether it's soccer or the World Cup, uh and the IIHF has has booted them out of hockey competitions for now. So, so that thing is it seems to be the dividing line. I just want to touche the one thing you mentioned about the the repercussions on their family and and mm-hmm. what we do know. I think it's worth noting to again noting that I don't know the answer to the question, but yeah. it, it, it does seem like a guy like Alex Ovechkin is a huge celebrity in Russia in his own right, and I think there's an argument to be made that. You know, if Putin might be throwing the odd general in prison or doing something like that in terms of retaliation, but is he really going to go after one of the biggest celebrities in the country, one of the most famous athletes the the country's produced? Um, You sort of think those NHLers, as much as it's not an easy situation for them, there's an argument to be made that they probably have some leverage in their own right and are able to speak out and not necessarily fear repercussions because 
Putin does want to keep the Russian public on side with this too, right? And is, is he just going to go now? Is he going to make a criminal of every Russian NHLer who says something about the illegality of his war? I'm not sure that he's necessarily going to go there either. So I think that's worth noting. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a messy situation, absolutely, and and I can see the arguments on both sides. Uh, Scott, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. Okay, cheers. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, that's Scott Stinson, who is a national sports columnist with Post Media News. This one's interesting. Um, Melanie Jolie, who is our country's foreign affairs minister, um, has been thrust into the spotlight with everything that's going on in Eastern Europe, and I think. You know, it, it, overall, I think she's done an okay job. I, I, I think she has. I think it's, uh, you know, you talk about extraordinary circumstances and you learn a lot about a person. And I think she's been, she's been capable. She's been adequate. She hasn't, um, you know, been a disaster. She has, I, I don't know, she's been good. She's been okay. She has, I mean, you're going to have the odd misstep. And she had one this week, I think. Or, or did she? This is what we all want to talk about. Uh, she really ruffled some feathers, whether you agree with her or not. Uh, she was on CTV's Power Play this week when, um, well, she said this. Listen. Canada has played its role to support one of its best friends, which is Ukraine, because of our people-to-people ties, because of our common history, but because it was the right thing to do. And we'll continue to work with our G7 countries partners, because we all know that Canada is not a nuclear power, it is not a military power, we're a middle-sized power, and what we're good at is convening, and making sure that diplomacy is happening, and meanwhile, convincing other countries to do more. Now, a lot of people were very upset with the whole, hey, we're not a military power, we're a mid-sized power, we're not good at that, we're good at convening, we're good at diplomacy. Um, former general speaking, a lot of people got very upset. So uh, we're going to get some insight on that. We're going to chat now with Richard Shamuka, who's a senior fellow with the McDonald laurier Institute. Uh, Richard, thanks for your time today. appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, right after the comments, a couple of Canadian generals spoke out with media saying, you know what, this is insulting to our troops. Uh, they were giving a very spirited defense of the troops, uh, especially the troops' pride. But, I mean, I understand their point, but is this really about the troops, do you think? Uh, Miss Jilly's made similar comments in the past. Uh, so I, I kind of feel this may be slightly a gaffe, but also slightly telling at the same time. Uh, I think the way she put it is probably inarticulate. Yeah. Probably the way I would I would I probably characterize it. She's made comments before uh, a couple months ago. She said, or a month ago, I should say, she said something to the order that uh, our allied nations come to us as the kind of the to understand what's going on in Ukraine. And uh, I think she, so. That kind of reflects that similar kind of uh, sentiment. At the same time, if you understand how the sort of international discussions have been going on. Uh, I don't really get the sense that's really accurate. I think that's her trying to play this up to the Canadian populace that we're doing something, we're playing a role, whereas, you know, we're basically on the kind of the outside of the circle of people or circle of countries that are trying to really deal with this. So I think she's trying to, like, make it out that we're doing something more, but in reality, we're... We're not the biggest player in this by any stretch of the imagination. Well, that's the, that's the aspect to it. You know, it may be hard for some people to hear, and I, and, I, and I understand that. But at the same time, there's some truth to what she's saying. I, I, we're not a military power on the global stage. I mean, that's just a fact. Yeah, but I think that's also partly of, you know, the last couple governments making, so to speak. Right? Absolutely. I think if you look at the current state of the military... It's pretty atrocious, and it's it's a pretty sad situation 
given this, you know, the, the history of the Armed Forces. And I think that's where the, the generals you see are pretty upset. It's not just specifically what you said, but the track record that has kind of played to this moment where you say, well, we're not a military power. And if you have, again, if you go talk to people like American troops or uh, British troops or wherever within NATO, Canadian military forces are exceptionally highly regarded. Absolutely. Like, among the best. And that's not me being jingoistic. Like, you can go and talk to an American service personnel, and uh, whichever service, you know, Navy, Army, Air Force, they'll say Canadians, top-notch. And that's not because they train with us, they work with us seamlessly, and you go anywhere. So, you know, for her to say that, especially given how the government has, in the past seven years, has really not helped out the Canadian military, that's where I think the the underlying, you know, basis of a lot of these kind of disagreements with her uh, come from. So the comment that she made, um, is it a recognition on the global stage that the way we're looked at by other countries is not what it used to be? And she's trying to say, hey, listen, we're still involved. We're still a player. Or is it to the home audience saying, you know what, we're still an important player on the global stage? Or is it a bit of both? I would say it's more to us as Canadians. I think it's trying to cover up some pretty glaring deficiencies that have gone on, right? Like, this is a government, for example, uh, in 2017, they put together Strong, Secure, and Engage, their defense white paper. And they had said, oh, we're going to make, we're going to get to 2% of GDP for defense spending sometime mm-hmm. at late 2020s. That. And recently it's come to light that there's basically been $10 billion that has not been put into the, into the military that had been promised in SSE over the past five years. Yeah, that's a huge amount of money at a time when the Canadian forces were like expecting this uh, this money to you know basically replace old outdated equipment, uh, modernize the forces for this new kind of warfare that we're seeing and being that's being developed. And that's you know they, that they're trying to cover. I, I wouldn't say cover up, but I, I, governments of all stripes have, have kind of played up Canada's role internationally when we're really not seen as being very much as a, a big player. The only time you could honestly say that in the past 30 years was during Afghanistan, where Canada did play a pretty, you know, front front and center role. But besides that, there's been constant cases where Canada comes to the table and says, well, we're, you know, we're here, we're going to do stuff. It's like, well, what are you actually bringing? Right. And the government, you know, the U.S. government or NATO or whatever sees that, and they're like, no, that that might work for your domestic audience to say that you're doing something, but that's nothing. Like that's that's a very small contribution, and and that's what I think they're trying to do again is, is to show that oh we're do, we're here we're playing a be a part you know we're the the country that country uh, Western states go to talk to Ukraine. It's like no, they can talk to Ukraine themselves. You know they have that yeah. they have that ability. It's not it's not we're not a linchpin to this process. Um, now, you talk about government spending, and, and now in light of this latest conflict and the fact that, and I think you're right, you know, uh, Canada's been exposed for, you know, not being at the table when it comes to NATO. There is talk that, once again, we're going to go to 2%. So maybe this will be something that pushes us in a direction where we can be more prominent, you know, in these next discussions, God forbid they happen again. Yeah, but if we were to just look at ourselves, again, if we have to look outside, and I mean, this seems to be a common trend I'm saying here. If you look at what's happening in Germany, and if you look at what's happening in Sweden, countries that are now confronted brutally with the threat of, of what's going on in Ukraine by Russia, right? They've, yeah. all, they've all basically committed to hit 2%, not just in some time in the future, like within two years in Germany's case, right? 
you had Germany basically throw off its neutral foreign policy and say, we're going to give arms. We're going to give a crap ton of arms, excuse my language, to to the Ukrainians to fight, uh, fight, uh, to fight the Russians. And that, I think, is really, you know, indicative of how, uh, how, this is, how the views have changed among NATO nations. So for us just to get to 2%, that's kind of like, that's the average. That's, that's you know, that, yeah, that just exactly. makes, you know, meet the lowest bar, right, <laughs> that we met you, right? Uh, and, and if you look, if you understand where the Canadian forces are, they need more than 2% for a while because we've deferred a lot of the replacement programs and the um, uh, modernization that's required to keep us modern and current with a lot of those that are going on with their allies, that 2% may not be sufficient. It may have to go further in order to meet a lot of these you know, these, these things that we've kind of put off for so long. Well, that only makes sense, Richard. Exactly. I mean, if you're playing catch-up, you can't do the bare minimum to try and maintain. You're going to have to actually go over and above the maintenance level. That makes perfect sense. Oh, it's, it's just because as things get older, they get more costly to maintain and replace. Yep. Uh, it's called the bow wave effect. Uh, basically, it's like a big hump that you have to go over because you keep pushing it off, pushing it off, and you have to go over the hump, right? And sense, yeah. in this case, it's, it's that it's getting so significant. I mean, you look at their fighter force, which is, is in shambles. Like, it's, uh, this is a government that delayed a replacement that were at eight years, I guess, seven years, right? Most countries, at least. Did, like, if you look at Finland, yeah, if you know, I'm saying just, just this government, right? They yeah. Oh, this one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so, you know, had they made a re- decision in the time that most countries took, like Switzerland, Finland, uh, the uh, even the Germans, they they all did it in under four years, and they've made a decision and they've chosen a they've chosen their replacement. They all chose the F thirty five, right for for acquisition, and it's done, right. And yeah. so they're going to get a replacement in that time. Whereas us, we're looking at keeping our CF 18s till about twenty thirty. Some of them will remain in service, you know, for over for coming up to fifty years. That's just you know the maintenance cost on that is. is ridiculous exactly yeah so um and that's there's a whole bunch of other equipment that basically needs replacement now and they're just not getting it so yeah and we're far behind richard uh good stuff thanks so much for joining us i appreciate your time my pleasure time, though, we're going to talk about the James Webb Space Telescope. We've talked about that a few times on the show, and we've sort of documented the delicate dance that had to be done in order to get this machine up and functioning in orbit. And it all worked, which, you know, if you go back and watch the 60 Minutes piece on it or anything on it, it's remarkable that this thing actually worked, getting it up into orbit and then the giant mirrors that had to unfold and the heat shields. And I mean, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. But lo and behold, it's working. And actually, the first picture has been sent back. And everybody is very excited about this. So to tell us why and what we're seeing, we're going to chat with Gregory R. Sivikov, who's an associate professor in the University of Alberta Department of Physics. Gregory, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Glad to be back here. So let's talk about this. The first picture has come back. What is it a picture of? I've seen it. Um, Okay, it's a nice picture, but (laughs) uh, why is it so exciting? All right, so let me first describe this picture to uh, your fans on the radio. What you see is you see a very bright object at the center of the picture, and then you see six folks coming out from the image in sort of bright, uh, almost like a hexagon, uh, like hexagonal spokes. And then you see a little faint spoke coming out horizontal. 
And that's what they were actually trying to take a picture of. But if you look carefully at the image, you also get to see a plethora of galaxies and other astrophysical objects behind this image. And the reason why they took what looks like a fairly boring image of that hexagonal uh, type star is they were trying to get the finest alignment they could for these uh, for this telescope. And that feature, um, that pattern, is exactly what you would get with the mirrors they had if you had everything just almost perfect. So, yeah, I mean, basically it's, I mean, for lack of a better term, setting your focus kind of a thing, right? It's getting everything in line so the, the camera is ready to operate. It, it's, it's very akin to that. And in order to do this, it's an absolutely an amazing feat of engineering because after you've had this, you know, hugely violent launch, um, successful, thankfully, um, this unfolding of the, uh, of the mirrors, the actual mirror, primary mirror for JWST is made of 18 different hexagonally shaped uh, segments. And they got them into a rough alignment, but now they basically got them into a, such a fine alignment by moving motors behind each of the segments at step sizes about one ten thousandth the size of a hair. Unreal. So when I'm looking at, like you say, the spokes, you know, there's six of them, as you say, and then the horizontal ones. Would it be fair to say it's kind of like lining up crosshairs kind of a thing like you want you want them all to intersect in the center uniformly so um here it's not quite that's not quite uh what happens here okay. it, it, it's really some complicated physics um then don't I do it say it <laughs> but <laughs> but basically i i can at least sum it up you had the eight you had the 18 mirrors um and in order to get an image where those spikes we call them diffraction spikes where those diffraction spikes are so crisp, in order to get that, you had to have all 18 mirrors well aligned with one another. And then, in addition, if you look very closely at the horizontal spike, the yep. one that's a little bit fainter, yep. you see a, a little bit of fading in and out, fading in and out. Yes. And that's actually due to the uh, support structures of JWST, and to see all these details in, su- in such fine detail, really just it says you got this focus essentially perfect. Amazing. Now I'm looking at the picture as we speak, and it looks kind of like to me, um, uh, and I'm sure anyone who looks at it thinks, man, there's dust on the lens or something, because there's all these little specks that you talk about, and some of them are bigger, some of them are smaller, some are galaxies, right? I mean, these are far off galaxies we're looking at. Oh yeah, and if you zoom in the image you can actually see the shapes of these galaxies. You can, you know, for those people who have ever done uh, this thing online called the Galaxy Zoo, where you tell if a galaxy is sort of shaped like an ellipse or shaped like a spiral galaxy, you can even begin to do that with just this, with this image with some of these galaxies. It's absolutely phenomenal. It is. It's pretty amazing. And as you say, this is just the beginning. I mean, this is just sort of a, a setup picture. Where do we go from here? Uh, obviously, things are working as they're supposed to. What's the anticipation like, and when will you start seeing more pictures like this? So the next major steps is that this was uh, largely with a, uh, you can sort of think of uh, shifting, instead of shifting out our camera lenses, um, what we do is we actually change the sensor behind the lenses, so to speak. And so this is with one of the instruments. Uh, now the next thing on, uh, on task is to take all the major science instruments and look at their focus, uh, essentially, between all the different uh, 
instruments and then come up with what's sort of the, the best compromise and then uh, start doing some other checks of the actual instrument quality, uh, in, uh, size quality instru- uh, images with each of the instruments. Okay, and then off we go. And, uh, you know, all kinds of people have booked different time, but uh, it'll be so exciting to see what comes next, right? I mean, all of this is just, uh, it, it's really going to open up some new frontiers, really. Absolutely. In some ways, JWST wound up being such a huge project, it became, uh, please excuse the pun, almost a moonshot uh, in astronomy. Um, And it's so great to see it paying off. Yeah, very cool stuff. Gregory, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much, and have a wonderful day. You bet. That's Gregory Sivakov, who is a professor at the University of Alberta Department of Physics. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts, If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.